I am here with Molly Caramel, who is a licensed clinical social worker and a leading addictions and eating disorder therapist. She's also the founder of the Beacon program, Beacon by MC, which offers individual and group solutions to help people break free from their destructive relationships with food and dieting. Pretty cool. She's been on a lot of podcasts that I personally listen to. Also the author of an innovative book, Breaking Up With Sugar, a plan to divorce the diets, drop the pounds, and live your best life. And she has her own podcast, What You're Craving. So super cool. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast, Molly. It is such an exciting thing to be here. I cannot wait to chat. Did I miss anything in your introduction? I mean... So it's pretty good to go. I probably, because I'm a pretty dynamic person as we all are. Don't you ever feel so, I feel so strangled by those sometimes like, oh, I have so much more to say. Um, Absolutely. I mean, maybe something exciting that I don't have in my bio because it's just happening right now is that I'm writing um, my second book and I'm like madly in love with it. And I think that's exciting. Very cool. What is the, what's the title of the book? Do you have a working title yet? I do. It's called, it's working title is divorcing dieting. And we are talking, I tell you this because I think it's relevant for what we're doing today, not just spit out of the water thought. You know, I'm really doing some you know, pretty serious research and beta testing with what I've found in the year and a half that breaking up with sugar has come out. So obviously I've treated like thousands and thousands and thousands of eating disordered people and helped them to break free, but never have I gotten the opportunity like I've received in the last year and a half, which is that you get this, like, I mean, I'm blessed enough. I got this like influx of interested people. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, like this is just the beauty of sort of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I have this like Facebook group and obviously my clinic has expanded and I'm interfacing with so many people. And here's the thing that I'm, I'm really seeing, which is regardless of you creating a healthy relationship with food. Now, whether that's breaking up with sugar or not, like, honestly, like someone tells you that there's one way run away. (laughs) The thing that I see that is always impeding in somebody's ability to have a happy and peaceful life in general, and certainly happy and peaceful relationship with food is always going to be their relationship with diet culture. So I'll have people who are like, I mean, on a stretcher, both literally and figuratively on a stretcher dying of eating disorder. Usually, or very often with me, it's eating disorders of the um, like compulsive overeating, binge eating, you know, bulimia type. Clearly dying of it in so many ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then just being hyper obsessed with that they like released one pound in a week and then ready to fire me, ready to fire themselves, ready to binge their brains out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or being like, or maybe even worse than that. I don't know. They're all pretty bad. But having this experience of, you know, having the food get kind of quiet and get kind of peaceful and then watching, well, you know, g- going on TikTok and say, well, wait, maybe I should try this carnivore thing, right? Maybe I should try this. I don't know. Should I try that? But, or like, you know, this happened to me like last week and I was scrolling through Instagram and then this belly fat thing came up and I was in a vulnerable moment. I was like, maybe I do need to intermittent fast. What do I, you know, me, <laughs> like, <laughs> But we're so vulnerable that I really believe, and and there's a lot of, you know, behavioral concepts and trauma. I mean, true trauma, 
responses that we're all having to diet culture that I think if we don't start to understand it, start to heal it, and in my opinion, take back our power, like really take back our power and learn to be with ourselves because that's really what it is. When I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see the belly fat ad and I click on it, I'm just giving away my power. It's over. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. I think I'm curious a little bit more how, you know, from your perspective, diet culture, messaging, social, you know, social media exacerbate, um, disordered eating and how they really delay healing, you know, and what are some actionable tips that, you know, I work with a lot of athletes, um, you know, 18 to 22 younger than that sometimes. And social media is a part of their life, right. A part of their routine, but what are some actionable things that they can do to kind of take, as you said, take back their power? Well, I can listen, like it's a part of all of our lives. Right. But I think if, you know, I'm, I'm trained in dialectical behavioral therapy, right? The treatment of, you know, borderline personality disorder, all of these other things. And one of the main things that we do in this, um, in this therapy is we, you know, analyze behavior. We look at a chain of, of behavior and we see what happened and what we could do differently. But before we ever even look at a chain of behavior, I'm, I'm writing about this in the new book. The first thing we do before we even look at how it happened is that we look at what made us vulnerable to it happening. And so I actually was just in session with one of my clients who's 20, 22 years old before this. And she was, we were actually, we were talking about how she's very into watching day in the life TikTok videos. And the reason we were talking about that was she was saying to me, well, you know, I'm not doing it perfectly. I'm not waking up in the morning and I'm not following the food plan perfectly. And all these TikTok, all these TikTokers are. And I said, you know, I can sort of understand why people think that the internet is toxic (laughs) (laughs) when you tell me that story, because I just find it really hard to believe that the day in the life of the TikToker that you're watching is every single day of his or her or their lives, right? And, and I, and I said to her, I said, I said, it sounds to me like when you're watching that, it's not really helping you get closer to any goal or to self-love or to knowing yourself better. It sounds like you're really using that in the service of harming yourself, right. And taking you farther away from your goals. And she said, yeah. And I said, you know, and I know that this is like a, this is really like lame what I'm going to say, but I, but I think I still have to say it. We're sitting here talking about eating disorders and, you know, the core of eating disorders is food, right? That's the substance. But if we're not thinking about this social media, which is created for us to be addicted to as consumption, like I understand it's normal. Like I have five God kids. I have a 12 year old goddaughter, right? And I get into this with my sister, but all of her friends are doing it. But it's like, and I understand that. I understand it's a normative part of our culture. And yet I still think if you're vulnerable, if you're so I'm very emotionally vulnerable, I don't know about you. I can scroll through and hate myself about 17 minutes into that scroll. I'm an adult. I'm a meditator. I'm a very mindful person. The minute I sense that less than feeling coming up, I'm like phone down. Oh yeah. We're all susceptible for sure. I'm full. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what's happening to people though, right? They're scrolling and then they get that feeling, oh my God, I'm I'm not doing it. And that's, I think there's this big, you know, there's this big 
backlash in the nutrition part of at least Instagram. I'm so old. I'm not like so into TikTok yet. I'll get there. But (laughs) where like dietitians are getting a pushback on they're like what I ate today thing, because it's sort of what they're saying is that you're promoting some foods, not promoting other foods, whatever. I kind of understand it though, right? Like you're saying, oh, I'm I'm a dietitian and this is what I ate today. And this is what you should eat today. I don't know that that's the spirit of it, but I think that is how people are reading it. Like the perfectionistic lens that we look through, it's just such a thief to us enjoying life and being in life and being able to actually flourish. Diet culture is just everywhere. And I think the thing about social media and diet culture, it's like a double addiction. You have this addiction of diet culture, which is so pervasive. It's just in the air that we breathe. And when you add social media, which is actually created, right? That they say about social media, if you're not paying for it, like you're paying for it, right? So especially the free apps, (laughs) you know? So yeah, I I think to that we have, I mean, the, the really, the tip I would say is, you know, getting quiet with yourself and seeing about like really judging your consumption and not judging your consumption in this lens of, well, everyone else is doing it. Like who cares? I mean, I'm a recovering alcoholic. seems like everyone else is drinking. I still don't drink just because everyone else is drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. And you mentioned earlier, I mean, run the other way is super red flag. If someone tells you that they have it all figured out or that there's one way oh, yeah. um, to, to kind of heal your relationship with food and, and disordered eating. But I'm, I'm curious what other paths, you know, what you encourage, do you encourage clients to kind of find their internal wisdom and go with what works for them um, in order to help heal them? What does that I, kind of I, look it's like? Such a great, I, it's such a great question, actually. I think it's such a great question, right? It's like, he, I think, so what, what I think is so often when we're struggling in our relationship with food and self and life, the, the problem with our internal wisdom is that it's like in the ICU, you know, like, because mm-hmm. we've self-abused so much, we've given away so much of our power that to ask somebody to find their internal wisdom, at least in my opinion, because you know, I'm not a big, huge fan of intuitive eating personally. Um, I am as an end game. I'm just not as a starting game, because literally because of this reason. And so what I think ends up happening is that, you know, we're, dying to try to find our internal wisdom. We're dying to try to feel better. And that's kind of where diet culture comes in, right? So we end up being like, okay, well, this person said that she had this experience and now she doesn't emotionally eat anymore. So I'm going to sign up with her. This thought process is so crazy. I'm not like, oh, like, do you have anything else other than your personal experience of how you're helping people. Like, what are some other methods? What if it doesn't work for me? I mean, and I tell this story often, it's like the only story I want, I want to like scream it from the top of the mountains because I was, I know this, um, I have a friend of mine who was like very victim shamed by this coach and she sent by a weight loss coach and the weight loss coach had this post up and it said, you know, every diet works. So the only problem with diets is you or the problem. And she was saying it in this kind of spiritual bypassing way to mean like, take back your power, but it's so, there's so much victim shaming that goes on. And listen, I think it's really useful because, um, I think it helps people stay in the 
system and never graduate. And so everybody's making money and everyone's hopping from diet to diet, but I don't care. I'm happy to like clean prisons if we can cure this, you know what I mean? Like, For sure. No problem over here. And I, so I think it's like, we're not very selective about who we're deciding to ask for help. And then I think diet culture interferes too, where it's like, sometimes when we are with the right people to ask for help, we don't, we're not getting the results quick enough. So we like fire that. I mean, that's like the real issue, right? We have these not as maybe educated or caring or, you know, financially driven people who are like, Hey, it's a slow process. You know, like I always think like I sell the, I don't even know how people follow me. It's true. Like, I'm just like, yeah, it's a process. It's a relationship. Like, you know, no wonder, like I have to be a little bit funny and cute about it because otherwise I just have nothing to sell you, especially given my competition, right? My competition's like 30 pounds, 30 days, like seven day cleanse. Like, yeah, count me. Like if I'm really desperate, like, of course I'm taking a seven day cleanse over my, like heal your relationship with food and yourself. Like I'd be like, I care. I'm in pain. That's the part where it's like, I think the first radical acceptance piece is like a lot of times when we're really suffering with eating disorders, disordered eating, unhealthy relationship with food, call it what you want. The first piece of acceptance is, okay, like my wisdom's in there. Like we all have the answers inside of us. You know, I don't know if you, Gabor Mate, who's like the king of Mm. trauma, he's not saying, he's saying it's not, it's not. Trauma is your experience of the event. It's not the event. Absolutely. And so many of us have been shamed and I don't know, punished. And like when it comes to our relationship with food and our bodies, that that's actually what needs to get healed here. Like period, like no questions asked. It's And, and so I think that what society sells as the solution isn't actually the solution. For sure. It's clickbait, right? I mean, it's the instant, it's clickbait. It's the instant gratification. You're appealing to the, to the masses, like in terms of, okay, you know, if social media is where a lot of people are spending their time and we only have, you know, five to 10 seconds to get their attention. What is this spiel? What is this catchphrase that what is the clickbait that we can sell to them? Right. And it's not this really intentional message of what the process looks like when looking to improve your relationship with other people, we go to therapy, right. To, to improve our communication skills and improve our tools. And we do different workshops with credentialed professionals who who can help us. I think that's, that's, but I think already even with therapy has been co-opted because now we have like 30 minute quick therapy change. I mean, it's just, it's, but it's really true. I mean, there's plenty of online, you know, providers that are saying, you know, this is therapy. And it's like, and listen, I got to say, like, I'm not, I'm a fan of coaching. I'm a fan of whatever. I'm even a fan of 30 minute sessions, right? But if it works, not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of us hijacking our intuition. And I think what I love this word that you're saying, I mean, the truth is that healing in general is an intentional process, Mm. period. You know, I went to trauma therapy many years ago. So I had plenty of trauma and I remember screaming at my therapist, Michael, you know, saying, how long is this going to take? You know, how long is this going to, I need to know, like, if I'm going to invest in this work with you. Like I need to know this guy was great. He's a Buddhist, you know, and he was just looked at me with this beautiful palms out, you know, how he only spoke in this very calm voice. And he said, Molly, how long does it take for a bone to heal? We don't know. 
And I, I was like, oh, fine, I'll stay. But like, I wasn't happy about it. You know? I just wanted it to be like, okay, it's an eight because I'm like, because I'm a sucker for diet culture, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like, here's the eight week process. And at the eight weeks, you're going to be healed. And by the way, with trauma, that's actually insane. Like trauma heals, but I don't know if you were in 9-11 and you healed your trauma and an airplane came down real close, you'd probably get a little freaked out too. You know, it's learning to manage your emotions, manage yourself. It's not, you know, healing is a, is a lifetime. For sure. Yeah. I think we get, you know, as a culture, we have things that we really gravitate toward and we really like tangible, you know, things that we can hold on to and things that we can see and the stuff that sometimes is the most helpful and beautiful. Um, you know, we, we can't, we can't see like our faith, our hope, or what, what that improvement of relationships kind of looks like from the inside out. That's the stuff that we, we can't see. And so I think that, that's when it gets challenging when, you know, to try to sell someone quote unquote on the stuff that you, the stuff that you can't see. And especially when we have these competing people who are selling the lie, right? I mean, I have, I'm like, Hey, it's true that you may be in a super unhealthy relationship with sugar. And here are some evidence-based tests to take, to figure it out for yourself. And then it's going to be a process that we need to do skills and da, da, da. And then it's going to be imperfect. I know it's the whole thing, right? And then every single person around me, including people I've been on national television with are like, no, like, but dates are okay. And a seven day heal. And, and I'm like, I'm they want dead. that. Like, yeah, but it's true. <laughs> it's sort of why, you know, in many ways, I actually like my target, like in this moment, like my avatar, like my, the person who really comes to me is old. I mean, they're in their four, they're in 30, late thirties to early fifties. And I was so curious as to why. And I thought, well, I think it's really because I get people that are like really done burnt that, out that are, but are so, I mean, so sad, right. They're so hopeless, hopeless, like have literally lost their will to try and heal that. They're like, all right, I'll listen to what this lady's saying. Like, fine. You know, for sure for sure I think yeah that's that's part of it though right is that you you get sucked in and you get you get hooked on the the clickbait and the things and the quick diet culture this and just 10 tips to lose 10 pounds over here and all of this stuff and then it does take a while so that kind of actually makes sense to me because it it takes a long time to actually get to this point where your stage of change is you know you're you're burnt out like you're ready to change at that point really in, truly in an authentic way in an authentic exactly. way you're burnt so, out on the on the short term it's not working and, exa- you- and what's really so this is like so there's these two ideas in behaviorism and one's called intermittent reinforcement and intermittent reinforcement is like the gold standard of any abusive relationship right mm-hmm. intermittent reinforcement is the reward comes sporadically right? So you have this common behavior, common behavior, common behavior. Every now and then you get this uncommon behavior. So your partner beats the crap out of you, beats the crap out of you. You're ready to leave. It's over. All of a sudden they come back with flowers. They buy you a new house. They buy a new car. Okay. I'll stay a little longer. Okay. You know, and that in and of itself is diet culture, right? Mm -hmm. Diet culture is like, I failed this diet. Okay. I'll try this. Oh, I got the seven pound weight loss or like, oh, I got the abs. And then it's like abuses you, abuses you. But every now and then you'll show up again just for that high, right? Just yeah. for that high. It's the, it is the gold standard of, of abuse. Yeah. What, this is my hypothesis. What, mm-hmm. 
what ends up happening with repeated intermittent reinforcement is that eventually even the intermittent reinforcement doesn't mean anything anymore because you're so miserable and you hate yourself so much that what ends up happening, and this is a trauma response, is called learned helplessness, mm-hmm. which effectively is when we have lost all hope, all faith, all anything, and we just are kind of like left there to die. And there's like a lot of research on that, right? Where it's just, mm. you know, it's just, okay, I am absolutely unhealable and unhelpable. And this is the lot that I am accepting in my life. And so here we are. And I've, and I have to say, sadly, um, because I think of, of who comes to me or largely comes to me, I have dealt with so many people where it's almost like the door of hope has shut completely. My teacher, Marsha Linehan, who's just the greatest genius, one time in passing, I mean, she's so smart. She lit, This is not anywhere that she wrote. She just said this one day to, to me, like, so amazing. She said, well, you know, hopelessness is a distorted view of the future, Molly. And I was uh, like, ain't that the truth? <laughs> Anytime I'm feeling hopeless, I think, okay, what's the distortion? What am I not looking at right here, right? Anytime I'm like, oh, this is never going to work. I'm like, hold on, hold on. What are the lenses all about here? Hold on. Let's not make that decision yet. Yeah. But, I mean, look at the mindfulness there. Like, oh my gosh, you have to be so awake to do that. And diet culture gets us to sleep. That com- competition and the scrolling and the not enough. I mean, that is louder than, huh, what's my lens? You know what I mean? Like, for sure. It's a, yeah, it's exhausting. And with the mindfulness, like when I work with my clients too, you know, we start by really looking at their social media exposure and looking at their content that they're, that they're uh, entrenched in on the daily and like, Hey, how can we really reasonably kind of get you into a space where you have a little bit more space where you have a little bit more space away from the screen, away from the things so that we can think. So when that, when this language comes up, like I never, right. Or I always, or I should, you know, these really limiting beliefs and these really limiting conversations that we have with ourselves. We're so mean to ourselves. Right. And so yeah. I, I, I really encourage them to look for that conversation, look for those, those words. And those are your cue. Those are your cue target words. Like, Hey, okay, there's a distortion coming up here. Like, here's my cue. And when we're talking about like, well, what are like actionable things? I mean, it's so mm-hmm. actionable is really hard in this, but I was yeah. having this other thought when you were talking, which is, I wonder what it might be like if, you know, because diet culture is so entrenched I don't think, I don't, I mean, I am like a, I believe in miracles and yet I don't think we're ever going to be like ending diet culture. Right. I I don't. And so I, I wonder to the listener, this is sort of my thought on all of it. I wonder what would happen if we just learned how to coexist with it, that we learned how to coexist with our body dysmorphia, that we were more gentle and loving because I think what ends up happening and there's a a Buddhist uh, psychologist named Tara Brock, and she talks about Mm -hmm. this idea of double wounding. Right. So I'll give you an example. This morning um, I was at my fitness class and I, I live in North Carolina. I'm, I also live in New York city. So I'm in New York city right now and two very different exercise classes. Uh, I'm in Tribeca. So all the models So it's like, you know, I don't think of myself as a large person, but in a Tribeca fitness class, I'm the largest person in the class, which made me vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't worked out in a while, which made me vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the machine and I looked at my body 
And I had just all of this negative body, just, I had this negative body talk, which was just like, oh my God, you know, I used to weigh 325 pounds. So I have like extra skin. It's, there's a whole event with my body and I've done a ton of work around it. Today I had a more vulnerable day. So I didn't judge it as good or bad. Right. I was like, oh, look, I, I was really unhappy with my body. And the thoughts came in real, real fast and real hard. Like you look disgusting. How could you be wearing this? Why are you this? Da, 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 you're sorry. And instead of reacting to that, because that's what double wounding is, is I would have these really negative self-hating thoughts, and then I would have shame about having these negative self-hating thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, God, God, God save me coming on to Carrie's podcast after that, right? (laughs) And so what I did was able to identify feeling I'm having a lot of shame right now. And then I was able to sort of think, okay, well, what, what are the, what's the story I'm telling from this shame, which was, you know, you're not worthy, whatever, whatever. And, you know, I am trained in this um, spiritual fitness uh, called Intensati. And I do a class once a week or twice a week with a bunch of people on Zoom. And Intensati, we do these mantras. We do these self-affirming mantras with movement. And this last month, we have been doing this movement at the end of the class where we just are moving and we're saying, I love you. I love you. I love there's moving. It's so weird. I mean, there's just a part of me that's always like in the back of my head, like rolling my eyes, but in the front of my head being like, wow, this is really useful. I mean, talk about two opposing ideas living together. So anyway, as I'm on the mega former, I'm sitting there just doing this. I swear, I swear to God, this is true. Cause I'm like, I don't think I'm solving the problem of my, of of my shame and, and, and like bypassing diet culture right now. I think I need to like finish this class and not make my life worse right now. Right. And I think, okay, well, it's like, what do I need? I need to know I'm okay. I need to know I'm loved. And I'm just on, so I'm just in class doing this in my head. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And like, you know, and here we are, but I think there's this piece that like, everybody thinks it should be like rocking diet culture and hop into like, and some days. Yeah, totally. I am like a fluff fluffing superhero with anti-diet on my like chest. And some days I'm in a class of models in white spandex, just doing my best to not make my sense of myself worse, you know? And for sure. again, like these are not sexy solutions and yet these are the real, these are the ones that last is really understanding. Like, okay, I'm not responsible for my first thought. There's nothing I could have done about that except for what I did. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's super powerful. And it's so hard to catch those thoughts, right? It is a practice. It's literally a mindfulness practice. Um, you know, not catching that first one, maybe even the second one, but the third one, you're like, Oh, okay. All right. I've kind of been down this trajectory before I maybe know what's coming. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I love you. I love you. What do I need to heal in this moment? Like, for sure. Like I got that there was like a war about to go. Right. And, and by the way, me turning on myself. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, so we're not going to do that. Yep. Let's get through this class. Let's get through the podcast. I love and it. I am lovable. I don't know what's going on. And I can save that for a day where I actually have my wisdom intact, but I do know that I love myself and that I'm lovable mm-hmm. and that I needed to hear that from myself, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, it's, and knowing what you, you mentioned, like knowing what your body needed or knowing what you kind of needed to hear in that moment too. I think that's, that's pretty powerful around the work that, that you have done. I think it can yeah. take people, um, a long time to, to maybe build that intuition to get to that space. Right. right. But, but the work it's, but it took work. I mean, the other thing I want right. to say about that is I think in a younger, cause you know, in a younger time in my life, I would have been on the phone texting everybody to tell me that I was okay. And that's like cocaine, right? Cause 
if they say yes, I don't believe them. If they say no, I'm ready to, you know, it's like, and I think that's the piece of like us needing to really take our power back from diet culture to understand diet culture is still going to infiltrate us, mm-hmm. but I don't need to give it my power anymore. I don't need it to define me or be a part of who I, I believe I am. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, we've all heard this, or maybe, maybe some of the the listeners haven't heard this uh, concept of, you know, body positivity and toxic body positivity and kind of what that looks like. And I think sometimes there's this, you know, when we know someone who is struggling with their body image or struggling with their, with their relationship with food, right. We, we sometimes say things we've all had people in our lives that have done this, you know, unintentionally or unintentionally, maybe saying things that can do a little bit more harm. So, you know, if you're not smiling, you're not happy with your body. No, you look great. You're fantastic. Right. And there's, there's like, okay, well, gosh, this seems really super far off from actually where I think I am. So I'm not going to believe this person or maybe hang out with them again. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm feeling maybe even worse about myself um, in that point. So, but this is like, because I think people are scared of negative feelings. I mean, that's, I think what exactly what I'm saying about my morning, like, yeah, I, I, having a, you know, in order to ever have true joy and happiness, you have to be able to feel really sad. And I think being comfortable with those feelings is a big piece of it. And it's like, this is exactly what I mean, that if I would have left that class, I would have taken somebody else's experience of feelings and they didn't want me to feel sad. And then that's invalidating, right? Like it's okay to have a hard day. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to be scared. There's nothing. I think that culture, that toxic positivity culture, and even this idea of the health, the body positivity movement, which is love your body all the time. Like I can't do that. (laughs) I, I, I can't, I'm like a very well-known eating disorders. I've been in recovery from an eating disorder for over a decade and I can't, and I don't want to do that. And I'm going to tell you why, Mm -hmm. because in those moments where I am suffering, I am able to like know myself in a different way. And I'm able to have compassion for others in a different way. Like it's not about not being allowed, like that. It's bad to feel sad. That's it's not the point of life. It's for us to like love each other through that and sit with each other and not try to fix everybody's feelings. When here's right, get a pen friend. (laughs) When somebody's trying to fix your feelings, it's about their discomfort with your feelings, Mm. not about your feelings. Yep. And when someone is commenting on your food, it's about their relationship with food, not about their relationship with you. Yeah. I haven't had a drink in a long time. Anytime somebody says something about my drinking, it is about their relationship with alcohol. That's all. And it's hard for us to see that when we're super vulnerable, right? And we're feeling super needy and we're looking for all these external things to help us to feel better. For sure. Oh, yeah. I love that right there. This, that projection is powerful. It's, it's so powerful and you need a second to, to kind of process that sometimes, you know, after you walk away from a conversation, you're like, what just happened? What, what happened in that conversation? And why do I feel so shitty? And, you know, it's because um, you took the other person's feeling for them now they, they, and by the way, then you don't make it so that they have to go to their therapist and ask what, you know, like, yeah, I love what you said there. I mean, I think we do live in a culture, you know, diet culture where the, 
priority is to, you know, consent, the messaging can be to, to feel comfortable and to, you know, the discomfort is bad and the anger and the frustration. And I'm so with it. It's like, they're like body positivity saying like, you should feel good about your body all the time. Like, I don't think anybody can feel anything all the time, like less positive. And it's not like, this is just like, not how we live as human. We're Mm -hmm. unpredictable. Like that's the whole point. We have to learn how to be flexible if anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think getting away, you know, moving away from the idea that being uncomfortable is a bad thing. That's where all your, all your growth happens when you're outside of your comfort zone, right? Like, so we should strive to be, (laughs) we should strive to be uncomfortable all the time. You know, I don't, I don't love to take a cold shower every morning, especially in the winter over here in Spokane, it gets frigid. But I do because it's, I know that it grows me. And I know that that's one thing in the morning that I can be proud of myself for doing or making your bed, you know, other things that maybe you don't want to do that you just do anyway, because you know that there's some growth happening there, even if you can't see it. I don't know. Listen, like I've been a therapist a long time and I've been privileged to get to be a part of people like completely transforming their lives. Like never has there been a time where somebody has come to me for their first meeting and been like, so all is great. So good to meet you, Molly. Every time somebody has been compelled to come and seek treatment with me, it's because they're in a depth of pain. Like that's the point. Pain is the touchstone of all growth. Like that's the deal. So when we're sitting here judging pain and saying it's not okay. And there's something wrong with you. Like no way. Like pain is tell actually pain is a great indicator to tell us that there's something wrong or something to be looked at, not even wrong that there's something. Okay. Look, let's get curious what's happening here. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. And I think, yeah, I think the discomfort thing, I want to talk about this idea of fragility and oh, are um, you joking? Because that's you not know, all I ever really. <laughs> I love this idea. I read this book the other day. I'll put it in the show notes. Pretty amazing. I'm curious if you've read it. It's called Coddling of the American Mind. No, um, pretty but fascinating book. And uh, anyway, I all about it. all about uh, fragility and how having tools and having resilience and and uh, exposure therapy is the most and having curiosity and conversations. Um, that's where the growth happens. That's where the education happens. It doesn't happen in cancel culture and canceling conversations and canceling people because they have different ideologies than you. Um, so I want to talk fertility with you. I know that that's, that's right up your alley as well. And I'm curious what some of your thoughts are surrounding I mean, I, I think this is not me. It's actually Marsh. I mean, first of all, I was playing basketball with my five-year-old godson yesterday. Awesome. And we went, <laughs> we went to like a normal, he's a little guy, you know? And he couldn't hit the, he couldn't um, even get the ball like very close to the hoop. And so I'm like basically fragilizing him. Right. And I say, Bo, Bodhi, I say, Bodhi, do you want, um, do you want to like go to the playground or something? And he was like, no, the only way I'm going to get good at basketball is if I miss the shot. I was like, oh, my sister, like, good job you're doing there. I was like, and like, so I was thinking to myself, how interesting is that? That like, I was fragilizing him. Like I was talk about like my own stuff, right? Like I was trying to prevent him from having a negative feeling when, and he's like, no, I'm good. This is where I learn. Like, you know, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take, like whatever five-year-old vibes. And, 
but I think that this is kind of the problem. And Marsha Linehan uses this word. I don't know where she says, you know, I think a, a lot of times she uses it for practitioners, like for, you know, you and I, that we end up fragilizing our patients, right? We don't push them and we don't. And I've had people in session with me and they'll say, I can't, you know, I just don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know if I can go to that party. There's going to be food there. And I'm like, uh, hold up. I'm so sorry. Like, uh, are you asking me to fragilize you right now? Are you, because I don't think you're fragile. I think you are strong. I think you are powerful and I will not be co-signing the idea that you're a fragile person. So hard no on that, you know? And so I think that's also what's happened, especially, yes. I mean, if the alternative to saying your truth is to get canceled, I, I think we are all getting fragilized often here. I, I find it myself in, in, book writing, podcasting. I'm like, oh, do I really want to say that? I have to really be thoughtful. And sometimes I do even temper my messaging. But I think when it comes to food and weight disorders, this is a huge one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you saw when I was on RealPod, you know, and she was like, what do, you, what do you think about trigger warnings? I was like, I think we all need to get it together and be able to manage triggers. Like, I, I don't understand what's happened here, but I'm kind of old. You know, this is sort of like where I, this is sort of where I'm really showing my age, but Yes, exactly. Like the trigger warning is then you probably should watch it because you probably should learn how to manage your emotions and manage your body and manage your trauma so that you can go live a big, beautiful life. If we're so worried, you know, it's like, go put on a thicker pair of socks. If you're going to be walking on glass and life is walking on glass and I want everybody to be walking, not looking for the glass, but looking up at the sky and looking into the world and all of like, And that's the whole point. Like we're not fragile. Something right. happened in this world. And listen, a lot of things have happened in this world. And, and we are scared to say things. And there is a lot of huge repression that we're watching erupt here and in every area. But it doesn't mean we're not allowed to make a mistake. Mistakes mm-hmm. are amazing. It's exactly what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Put on a thicker pair of socks if you're going to walk. If you're going to walk in glass, right? Life is walking on glass. You know, it's the deal. For sure. And soon you can take, uh, by the way, thicker pair of socks, thinner pair of socks, barefoot. I mean, that's the deal, right? That's how you get, that's how you get oriented to things. And I think, you know, relating to food and otherwise, I think, you know, a lot of clients that we both probably see haven't come face to face. That's, that's the issue with, with the trigger warnings is that, Hey, put, put your armor up because we're going to talk about something hard here. And you maybe haven't faced some of those challenging emotions, conversations. Um, and so here's your opportunity to opt out. And so by doing that, then we're just, we're just, yeah, encouraging oh, the, the bubble. I'm right? in love with it. Yes. It's like, I, and I want to say like, I am nothing if I'm not validating, like I am, cause I'm, I'm as sensitive as they come. You know, I, I wasn't born with any skin on me. Like I need emotional sunscreen to walk out of the door. Well, emotional, sunscreen. But I think this idea that we're allowed to opt out of hard things is is a really big problem in not, and by the way, having nothing to do with food, but also everything to do with food, right? Mm. Like, I think we just forget because I, as I'm writing this new book, it's like, what's the end game of divorcing dieting? It's like coming home to yourself, stopping giving away all your power. If we're allowed to opt out of hard conversations, how are we ever supposed to regain our power? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Emotions don't kill. No. And listen, I'm a huge believer in trauma treatment. I'm a huge believer that trauma lives in the body. Don't get me wrong, but still it's learning how to manage our emotions. It's not, 
avoiding them. And back to trauma. Yeah. Trauma in the body too. Something just came up for me. And I'm curious if you do this with your, with your clients as well. I think you can get to a point where you're in such a dark, you know, such a dark place, such a low place with your body image and, and with your thoughts in general that you feel so removed from your body. And I, I love the idea, at least when working with my clients of doing some really accessible yoga, kind of doing, doing some, some movement with your body to kind of get to this, even body neutrality space. For some of us, body neutrality is like, wait, like is going to be the end game. Yeah. Like that's like body neutrality is like hip hop hooray. Yeah. But that's exactly, I'm with you because I was a um, a cognitive behavioral dialectical behavioral therapist my whole life. And in the last, I don't know, eight years or so, I'm like, this is insufficient. This Mm. is insufficient because this is not happening just in the mind. It's why I'm trained in intensity. It's like people need to be embodied, like in order to really be able to step into our power and be in our full expression of ourselves. It's not just about talking about it, right? It's about being in the body. And I was trained as a shaman many years ago. And the guy was like, you know, your body is your friend. And I was like, Stuart, no, I don't think you quite understand my story. You know, 325 pounds, wanting to kill myself the whole nine. And, you know, we talked it out and Stuart was right. And I was wrong. You know, my body has always regenerated for me. You know what I mean? Like my body has always shown I've harmed it. I mean, let me tell you, if anyone had to make amends in this, it's me to my body, not my body to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so coming into that truth, which is just a truth. It's like, yeah, your body really is trying to work for you very hard. You're getting in the way, your fear, your behavior, your self-hate, your self-harm, which is an amazing thing, you know? And then I think also, I want to say this, if you're listening, there's days I love my body and there's days that I'm just neutral and neither is good and neither is bad, right? One would say like, oh, Molly Carmel is not liking her body today, that there's something wrong with the process. It's like, no, there's something wrong with your conception of the process, which is why you can't be happy. <laughs> mm. I think I, I work with so many athletes who are, who struggle They're you know, they're in vulnerable positions in their sport and, you know, male and female and otherwise, and st- really struggling with their relationship with food. And I think it's always a thing with coaches or athletic directors or parents or friends to know what to say. And I just want to get your take on, you know, if you know someone who does struggle with their body image and their relationship with food, and um, they're kind of making these little micro comments here and there, and what should their approach look like? How can, how can we help that situation? How can we help that person? What would that approach look like? And maybe some, what are some things that are, not helpful to say. (laughs) I think like being validating means finding the truth in how the other person is feeling. It's not about making people feel good. You know, if I'm sitting here in this dark depression, hating myself, I don't want you to help me feel good. You know, I want you to say, God, I can really see that you're struggling. And if there's anything I can do to support you, let you know, there's nothing I can do to support you. I'm still here. That's all. Everybody just wants to be seen and heard. And I think, again, like what we're saying is like a lot of the times, and I do this myself and I'm like a therapist for 25 years, you know, it's like we end up going in and trying to fix people's feelings, which is just the most invalidating thing that you can do. This is beautiful. I mean, I would recommend it highly. Like go watch Brene Brown's three minute video on empathy. Because there is no better way to understand what to say when someone is struggling than that video. 
It's not to fix it. It's just sometimes to get the ladder, go down in the hole and sit next to someone and say, Hey, I'm here for this. I'm here for this for, you know, and I love you. Mm -hmm. I don't actually think there's a lot to do because the point is, is that if you're going to do it for them, they're going to have to go do it again. Mm -hmm. Right. What can I do to support you? I love you. I'm here. Yeah. I think sometimes you risk pushing that person further away. If you're um, having them lie to you about how they're doing. Sure. Right. If someone's like demanding that I'm happy all the time and then they're like, Hey, how are you doing with your problem? I'd be like, I'm great. I'm great. Good. No. Yeah. No worries. All good. Like that's not someone who's safe for me to tell my truth to. Then at the end of the day, that's what we all just need to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. My podcast, I have all these like success stories and I've like decided I just want to stop doing them. I'm so tired of a success story. I think like we all just need to be like hearing each other's truths and just kind of be like comfortable with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the success story, right. It's just right. It's yeah, like, then you're like, who knows tomorrow? What if, you know, what an imposition success today. It's only right. success. It's like, a- like the next day they're having a hard day and they're like, oh my God, but I was just a success story. It's like, we're a success every day. Like telling the truth is a success, right? Like mm-hmm. being vulnerable is a success. Like we have these like totally like warped views of what life is supposed to be like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm curious with your work with clients and when you decide to maybe try like another approach. So you mentioned like, you're not a big fan of intuitive eating, um, at least not from the get-go because you're getting that person and it makes total sense. You're that person's not super in touch with their intuition at that point, obviously right. they need some the exposure, right. Exposure to what these hard emotions kind of look like, what the trauma looks like, what the relationships look like, but where, where do you start? I'm curious, where do you start and, and how would someone know if that, if they do need treatment, right? Like if they, if they do need to kind of awesome. um, take that next if you're step. in an un- unhealthy relationship with food, <laughs> you deserve help. I mean, straight up. And if you're going to go to an inpatient hospital and they're going to, and you, and you don't need that, they should say, Hey, you know what? You don't need this inpatient hospital. You're healthy enough. Go somewhere else. Right. And just like some people come to me and I say, Hey, you know what? This is way more than I can do once a week with you. Let me help you to get more help than this. Right. So everybody's worthy of help. If you think you need help, go get some help. There's nothing wrong with it. And there's all different ways to do it. But here's the thing. I don't know. There's so many ways. And that's the problem when we have all these perfectionistic vibes. Mm. Maybe it's a support group. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's a nutritionist. People start with me. I have to be honest. I don't have one way I start with people. I've been doing this for 20. I've been doing this for 20 years. Like I have the 10,000 hours where I sit with someone. I listen to what their problem is. And then I collaboratively create a treatment plan with them. Sometimes we do the food. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes I refer them to travel. Like I don't, it's so against my values to sit and be like, this is what we do. Like there's a general way. Like I do believe like as a therapist that if you're not talking with your client about their food, you're really missing a big part of the puzzle of understanding their experience in this world. So we do a lot with food plans. We do a lot with collaborative food plans. We do a lot with talking about food. I think food is a really interesting barometer and it really helps us to get more in touch with what's actually happening for us. But I also think it depends and it always depends. Like right then, like then I have a new client come in and I'm like, oh, we're not talking about the food for a while. It's not time yet or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's Mm -hmm. just from a lot of doing this for a really, really long time. Sure. 
Yeah, again, back to the culture. Like I think the immediate response and messaging is, you know, that end all solve all right here, right now. Oh, yeah. Instant like, gratification. Here's my five point plan. Like, no, it's just like not <laughs> the deal. I mean, there's some extent, yes. And ex- I mean, I wrote a book, right? And I give a plan in the book and I'm writing another book and I'll give a plan in the book, but sure. Try that. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Right. And I'm curious just what your what your advice would be for your 20 year old self? Like, what would that look like for you? Oh, I'd say, honey, I love you. I love you. And I would say, uh, I'd say, find yourself. I'd say, come back to yourself and then decide what you should do. Stop giving your power away to men and school and grades and business and your job. Like stop. You're enough exactly as you are in this moment. And I would say to somebody who's struggling right now, I wasn't struggling. I was, I was struggling in a different way. I mean, I think the other thing I would say to her is like, don't give up because it's about to come to you. All the cash and prizes are about to come to you. And so just don't give up. You know, it's a journey. That's the whole thing. I love it. I would love to talk to you all day. I know you have to go. Namesy's here all the conversation. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for you, doing Kelly. the podcast. I really time. appreciate it. Yeah. I really appreciate we'll it. We'll have to maybe do round two sometime in the future. Count me up. Okay. I'm down to talk this awesome. the hour of my life. Like Molly Caramel, everyone go and check out her podcast. Yep. My podcast is what you're craving. It's on Dear Media. My website is mollycarmel.com and I'm on all social handles at Molly Carmel and I'm big on social and I love like a DM more than life. So that's Um, how I met you. I know the DM. Okay. Thank you so much, Molly. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ready, Set, Mindful podcast, make sure to leave us a review and make sure that you subscribe. Stay tuned for next week as we do a deep dive in one of our solo episodes. And if you're not following us on social, we are on Instagram at Ready, Set, Mindful and go check us out at ReadySetMindful.com for more workshops and fun stuff coming your way soon. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode.